0: I uh, was thinking as I was preparing this message a number of years ago, I was stationed on the island of Guam with a a young man from Porterville, California. And uh, I don't remember how many years ago uh, we were pastoring here and we got a call from this man. He was a good friend of mine. He's what you'd call a buddy in the service. People team up and eat together and go to the PX together and so on and so forth, whatever it is to do together on the island of Guam. And, uh, which was nothing. And so uh, he gave me a call and he said, uh, he said, I remembered that you were from Prescott, Arizona. And so he said, I took a chance and uh, called the operator and I got your number. And so he said, I'm going to be in Phoenix at a certain date. And he said, well, I'd just love to have your wife. and you come down and be my guest for dinner? So I said, Fine. And so we uh, set aside the time, we went down, and uh, this man uh, related to me a story. He was working, uh, he was an executive, as a matter of fact, for a computer component uh, manufacturing uh, company on the coast. And he had gotten in on the ground floor of the uh, this company when uh, computers were just barely, and computer hardware just barely, uh, beginning to be made, and he got into the transistorized circuitry, and uh, he had obtained, uh, and with some other men, stock in this company, and it had just exploded, and he was an independently wealthy man. He uh, had uh, branches in Taiwan, and he told me that all he did was just uh, travel back and forth, and and uh, and uh, deal with uh, certain phases of uh, of that. And uh, he uh, had expense accounts, and he was telling me all these, all these things. And I said, well, how, uh, how did you get into that? He said, I just was in the right place at the right time. You ever wonder how come some guy get all the breaks? <laughs> he was just like you and I. He was, he's not brilliant. He's not, uh, he's not uh, a smooth operator. He has no great talent. He's just a, a trooper like you and I, slugging in the trenches. He was at the right place, he says, at the right time. That doesn't hardly seem fair, does it? <laughs> <laughs> and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, why does some guys seem to get all the bread? Why do some people in the body rise up, and suddenly they seem to have ministry, and they're in a certain place, And uh, other people seem to just uh, continue on, and they're in the normal processes. And so, uh, why does that happen? Some people never change. Some people never progress in their spiritual life. Other people never do rise to ministry at all. They just simply function. And uh, you see them ten years from now, they're in the same place they were uh, uh, ten years before. Why does that happen? Why do some people... Rise up, and the next thing you know, they're off preaching and pastoring, and other people are in leadership position in the body and so on and so forth. Why does that happen? Well, uh, we could say uh, they were just in the right place at the right time. Or maybe they're God's favorite people. Maybe maybe the Lord has some favorites, and he just uh, uh, likes to do that. Solomon said, "Uh, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happeneth to them all. In other words, what he was saying is that life's like a big roulette wheel. Round and around she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. And if it happens to stop on your slot, bingo! You're in. That's what Solomon said. That's what he was saying. Isn't that interesting? I want to take you to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and I want to share with you a passage of Scripture. That will help us to gain some understanding in the Word of God and in the Christian life. Ephesians 4, chapter 1. 4, verse 1. I want to read 16 verses to you. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. For this reason, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Tremendous passage of Scripture, and I'd like to capture a line of thought, if I could, from that passage of Scripture. We examine this, it, it, it would be well for us to think about the fallacy of the world as it relates to what we've been talking about. Now, the world has a, a, a feeling and, it, and the, 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 the philosophy of the world, it's like the American dream. The great American dream is that uh, we have unlimited and equal opportunity because we live in a free country and because we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of economy, that we have unlimited opportunity and we have equal opportunity for all. And Abe Lincoln picked this up in the Gettysburg Address, and because of the vast horizons and the tremendous opportunities in the new world that seem to be unlimited, he gave a speech at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and he said, fourscore and ten years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this nation a new uh, continent, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. The only problem is, is that that's not true. All men are not created equal. Life is not equal. There is nothing in life that even leads us to faintly come to the conclusion That we are equal, no man is born into life with equality. He does not have equality of family, He does not have equality of opportunity, equality of race, equality of advantage. None of these things, it's a fallacy, and that comes out of the American dream that we have unlimited and equal opportunity, but we do not. Life is such, and the facts of life are such, and this is especially true in the Church of Jesus Christ and but we bring this we tend to bring this into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the scripture for a moment because the Bible says that the church is a spiritual organism and in the Bible it says that God is the father of all. He is over all, he is through all and he is in you all. And in the 7th verse of that scripture says now unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So in other words, then, we have a God who is over all and through all and in you all, and this God is at work in life, and at, as he's at work in life, the Bible tells us that God does not place us in life in equality, neither does he place us in the body of Jesus Christ in equality, but he apportions out in the body as he will. That's a tremendous understanding. And when you begin to come to grips with that, it'll change your understanding. But, you see, we have worldviews. And we bring to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ our worldviews, of how it ought to be, and we bring this into the church, uh, and we, we tend to feel that we ought to have, uh, that, that the church is a place, that there's equal opportunity, and so equal opportunity plus hard work uh, and a little bit of politicking to bring it all to pass will give us all the equal opportunity that we can all rise to whatever position that we strive to aspire to, and it's up to us. It just depends on hard work and equal opportunity, and if we'll function in that, Seasoned with a little bit of political uh, uh, intrigue and politicking, why it'll it'll uh, it'll it'll bring this to pass. Just work hard, and uh, we have an equal opportunity. The only problem was that I read a little sign one time in a business, and that and that sign said, "The harder I work, the behinder I get." That is the secular view of the church. The secular view says you go to work in a business and if you work hard in that business uh, and the harder you work, uh, the more promotions you're going to get and you're going to rise up and someday you'll be president of the company. Well, thank God it happened some places, uh, but I want you to know that you can work in a lot of business and you can work your tail off and the boss keep on ripping you off and after 20 years, you'll still be working your tail off and you'll be a slow. Amen? And so there is not equal opportunity for all, that is a secular view. It is an idealism that we, we tend to bring into the church and we make that mistake that we have equal opportunity and if we want ministry, uh, want, a, want a pastor, want to be an evangelist, whatever, all we have to do is set our sights on that goal, work hard, make the right moves, wear our tie at the right place, shake the preacher's hand, uh, associate with the right people, and someday our star is going to rise and we're going to rise up to That's a secular view of the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's another view, that Solomon's view that we read in Ecclesiastes. That verse comes from Ecclesiastes 9.11, and Coverdale has an interesting translation of that I'd like to share with it. I wish I could give the old English expression, but I can't, so I'll just read it. It says, I saw that in running it helped us not to be swift, In battle it helpeth not to be strong, in feeding it helpeth not to be wise, to riches it helpeth not to be subtle, to be had in favor it helpeth not to be cunning, but that all lie in time and fortune." So Solomon says then that uh, how it all comes out, as it doesn't make any difference how fast you are, how mean you are. How tough you are! How smart you are! How, and he goes on. It's all it is is just one great big game. Round and around she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. And so many people have the feeling that uh, that uh, God uh, is uh, somewhere up in heaven, and He throws a wheel, and around she goes, uh, and it stops, and all of a sudden it wham! It hits Mark Hurley. So he pushes the button, and down in Prescott, Mitchell says. Hurley, oh, yeah, Hurley. And then some people have the sneaking suspicion that uh, that's the way it ought to be, but really um, uh, there's a little scheming going on. And uh, sometimes Mitchell says, Hurley, when God really didn't push the button course, none of you have ever wondered about that. Amen? And then along with that, somebody said, the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. God is at work in the church. God is the Father of all. He is over all. He is through all. And He is in you all. But we bring to the church these ideas that we have of how the church Finds expression and how we find these various facets of ministry and our place in the body of Jesus Christ. We're in the age of genetic engineering. In the age of genetic engineering, which boils down to Hitler's old super race only with sophisticated clothing, it means that you eliminate everybody that doesn't have the race and the color and the creed that you have, and by selective breeding, you can breed up a super race by just putting the right genes together. The only problem is you can put two geniuses together and uh, you can turn out somebody that will never mount the hill of beans, Because it's not the IQ that makes the great. Isn't that strange? But we're in the age of a genetic engineering. And so we have that feeling, but we need to understand this is all a fallacy of the world's thinking, and God, not man, holds the key to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe the Word of God at all, we look at chapter 4, we see that God is at work in the assembly of believers, and the Bible says that God is over all, God is in all, He is through all, and He's above all. And He's the Father of all. And so that tells us then that God our Heavenly Father has engineered the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is operative in its midst, is its true head, and it is God that works, and it is God that is at work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not to view the church of the Son of God. We are not to view it from secular eyes, but we are to view it from the Word of God and interpret it in understanding of what the Word of God says about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to bring you to an examination of another thought, and that is that in this all we see the sovereignty of God. Now God is no respecter of persons. We understand that. Acts 10.34 says, Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person now what that means is that god does not move on our behalf because of our talent because of our genius because of our wealth because of our station none of these things in other words god does not look as man we look and see who's the wealthiest we see who is the most eloquent we see who is the best looking we see all of these things and from the world view we're looking at these things but god does not choose that way and this is what peter said And he begins to say, as he begins to pray, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons in that particular sense. He said, who would ever have dreamed that Italians could ever get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost? That's what he was saying. Blew his mind. Bill little pride was involved in that. He said, uh, I would have never dreamed that God would have stepped down from where we Jews are and have saved these Italians.
1: <laughs>
0: and so when you say, well, now, God is no respecter of persons, uh, you want to interpret it in the light of when it was how it was written. Because that will bring you to an understanding of what I'm going to say now, and that is that God shows favoritism. The scripture says, and unto some he gave apostles, unto some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now what he is saying here is that God is equipping the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as he's equipping that, he's taken a piece of his grace, and he has just laid it on, people that he himself has chosen within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has placed that upon them, and he has called them into a ministry that pleases him as the sovereign God. Look at Ephesians 4, 7 again. For unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now we have a little problem with that word, because traditionally, we've been taught, and Bible school's taught us this, and I didn't know, I passed it ten years before I knew, knew that there was another meaning for the word grace. That uh, grace, it means free and unmerited favor with God. That, it does mean that, but it means far more than that. And so when we come to the word grace, we're talking about the Greek word charis, and what it literally means is everything that God has for us, everything that he does for us in Christ Jesus, the whole range of God's working in human blessing, we're talking about grace. Okay, now. As we come back to, then we're talking about God moving, and we could literally say, if we could give you a definition of the word grace, it is a spiritual impartation. In other words, it is something that moves from God, bringing into us a facet of God's power, a facet of God's nature, a facet of God's energy, and just pours upon us a a facet that originated in heaven, had nothing to do with us, whatever. Are you listening to me? Remember what I've said so far. Here's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the church is here, we have this, this view that around and around she goes, where she stops, nobody knows, and that is a random selection. Then we have the other idea that it's all a political machine, and we just strive and make the right moves and, and meet the right people and be seen in the right places, and we're going to rise up in the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry to say that many organizations function that way, and many church uh, uh, groups function that way, but you're not sitting in one of them tonight. What is grace? Grace, uh, then uh, interpreted in the Scripture, uh, Paul says grace is strength to endure. He's, he's, uh, he has a thorn in his flesh. He cries out to God, and God says, "My strength uh, is uh, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness is my strength made perfect." And God, in that tremendous trial, whatever it was that Paul had, just poured in him uh, a a a measure and apportionment of his nature, of his energy, of his power, and Paul was unable to live in whatever circumstance that was. Here we have in the Bible an illustration of the salvation of souls. People are going to get saved. How are they going to get saved? Are we going to talk them into it and say, you know what, uh, if you'll just join the four-square church, this, you're going to get saved. And so they sign the card. I take the card, put it, say, uh, so, uh, Sunday night we're going to have a baptismal service, and you just be there, and it's all going to say, no. It, that's, that's not salvation at all. That's church. But we're not having a church. Unless you get saved, you can get baptized 300 times and use still bound for devil's hell. If you're gonna get saved, something's gonna have to move from heaven above is going to have to meet you at your point of repentance and faith, and is going to have to impart into you something that did not originate in you at all, but God giving you an impartation of His grace. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, "...for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should walk in Him." So we want to get saved. We hear the invitation. We come to Jesus. We say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Out of heaven originates something that does not originate with man. Hallelujah. He comes down. Whatever it is, whatever description, whatever shape it is, I do not know. But you have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. Something happens inside that did not happen upon earth. Originated in heaven, and you're saved. The salvation of a soul is by grace. I can't save you. This church can't save you. No membership can save you. No man can save you. I can preach the gospel. I can give an invitation. I can lay my hands on you. I can have workers work with you. I can give you a big black Bible. I can do all those things. But that's not going to help you unless God portions a portion of His grace and inside of you He does something that originates in heaven. You will not be saved we see then that salvation of souls is by grace. We have an enablement to minister. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, but by the grace of God, the grace, there's that word again, caris. I am what I am. And I'm not what I am because I politic. I'm not what I am because I schemed and connived. I'm not what I am because I had advantage. He says, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Then he goes on to say, And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So here then we're talking about an apportionment according to our ability to receive it and his purpose in me. Now in this congregation this evening, there are apostles. In this congregation, there are evangelists. In this congregation there are prophets, in this congregation there are pastors, in this congregation there are teachers, but they are not fully developed, they're in embryonic form, God working in the body to bring forth from the body those works and apportionments of grace that when He ascended up on high and He entered into the Holy of Holies with the fruits of Calvary's victory. He gave gifts unto men, and unto some He gave to be apostles, unto some He gave to be prophets, unto some He gave to be evangelists, unto some He gave to be pastors, and unto some He gave to be teachers. It was not their own choice. It had nothing to do with their talent. It had nothing to do with their advantage, their ability, their equality. It had nothing to do. It originated in heaven and was settled in the councils of God, in the sovereignty of God. And when Jesus Christ is. Up on He shed forth upon the church of Jesus Christ those gifts, and it was determined and settled in eternity. Thank you, Jesus. You can call it predestination. You can call it election. You can call it choosing. You can call it whatever you want. But whatever it is, we must come to the Word of God, and the Bible shows that God has favorites. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, talk to God about it. I didn't, I didn't write the book. I don't like that. I don't, I don't. What I want to be is I want to be a, whatever you want to be. Well, uh, it's wonderful we need to aspire and to be ambitious to achieve and to rise and so on. But the key is not what we want. The key is what does God want. So here we have the parable of the Talmud. The parable of the talent. Just Jesus doesn't argue about it. He doesn't write a long treatise on it. He doesn't write a paper so that you'll feel good and understand it. He just puts it right out there and he tells this parable. He says a certain nobleman went into a far country and he called his servants to him and he said to them, uh, he said, he said, I'm going to a far country and he apportioned out to them one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. According the scripture says to their several abilities. He didn't ask them if they thought that was cool. He didn't say, are you fellows in agreement with that? Because knowing human nature, amen, many of the one-talent people all think they ought to be 50-talent people, and generally the five-talent people really believe that they ought to be one-talent. And so that's why God doesn't ask our opinion about it. He just declared that right straight out there, no equality of any kind. He just said this one. I'm going to give Sam Atkinson five. Uh, I'm going to give Bill two. And I'm going to give Roland one. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't argue about it. He doesn't write a treatise to you and I saying, Now, now fellas, this is why I'm doing that. You understand. He, he, just, he just wrote it right out there. And there's a companion scripture in Matthew 25. That's found in Luke 19. And the companion found in Matthew 25. He just simply says, This is the way it is. Sovereign. Election. So we're dealing with the sovereignty of God within the body of Jesus Christ. There are facets of ministry. There are places of function. There are none of them that are above the other. The apostle is not above the common minister in the in the in the. Uh, realms of the body, they are all equal. They simply have different offices, and they're all responsible, which brings us to the urgency that we understand that, that I want to bring you to this evening. See, the key this evening is not in endowment alone. I would to God that we just simply could declare this, and having declared this, it would automatically transpire, and you and I would have nothing to do with this, but we could just. We would just be there. I'd never have to worry about whether I was ever called, but I could just say, I just can't help it. God just got me, and and I'm just, this is the way I am. But that isn't the way it is. See, probably four or five times since I've been preaching the gospel, I I said, "I I wonder if I'm really called. That surprise you? It's not hard to to think that you're called when the building's full and things are happening and people are getting saved and money's coming in and you're hitting hot licks and everybody's talking good about you. (laughs) But it's when things are not going good and the devil is on your case day and night and there ain't no money coming in and you're not hitting any hot licks at all that the devil says, I didn't think you were called. Oh, wow. I thought when you got called, it was like Paul. You're riding along on your jackass, and a light falls from heaven, and you fall down on the ground, and a voice says, Wayman, Wayman, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord, that I am persecuted? I'm Jesus. And from that moment on, I could just tell the story about how I was, uh, and uh, thank God for Paul. But I don't ever read about anybody else ever been knocked <laughs> off a jackass to be called. But regardless of that fact, thousands uh, in history and multiplied hundreds of thousands uh, have been called into the harvest field and have found productive ministry and have answered the calling of God by faith as God dealt with them and moved them into the kingdom of God. The endowment alone is not the key. I was reading in the Arizona Republic the other day about a man named J. Robert Mazel, 37 years old, and he's the uh, son of a New Jersey... Doctor has a superior intelligence, and uh, and uh, and he has every qualification for tremendous success in life. He he he's a computer whiz. He understands computer circuitry. He understands all the processes. The only problem is he served time in four maximum institutions and security prisons, and they put him to work down in Phoenix, Arizona, in the uh, in the section that, that determines payrolls and checks and all, all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, his wizardry and his genius. He ripped off $700,000, and probably a million. I see another 400000 came up, and they're not sure, but it didn't do him a bit of good to be a genius. The endowment alone is not the key in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to me. I'm saying something important to you tonight. Peter picks this up and he says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. He says, sure, I know that God has made a decision. I know that his career comes out towards you to bring you to the place and gifts you for what the ministry he has for you. But he said, you better get off your pew and make your calling and election sure. Then... This is picked up by Paul in Romans, and he says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Or he says, God's not changed his mind. Because you have failed, because you have seriously abused, because you have not obeyed, or because you uh, have, uh, have uh, uh, through ambition, uh, striven to rise up, God hasn't changed his mind about what his career is for you. Then, the Bible says, In James 3, 1 gives us this warning, "...My brethren, be not many masters or teachers, for we shall receive the greater judgment." And what he's saying there, he says, don't don't be eager to be a teacher if you're not a teacher. If you are a teacher, the Scripture says before you need to be, but he says if you're not a teacher, you better be careful that you don't become a teacher because those that stand in the position of teacher have a far greater accountability for what they have done. And so then we see... That faithfulness. Now, we best, we have to take this seriously, and I'm, I'm bringing this to conclusion. We, we're going to have to come to grips with this seriously in our lives. America is filled with people that are good people that have been saved. Many of these have been filled with the Holy Ghost, but they don't have a clue about what the will of God is for their life, and they don't really care. They're just kind of functioning in a, in a, in a Christian way. Uh, atmosphere and doing their own thing under the label of Christianity. And I want to tell you that God's bringing that to a conclusion in our generation. He's blown the whistle on that and you're not going to be able to get away with that any longer. He's going to close churches everywhere uh, and people that do not begin to come to grips with what I'm saying this evening are going to find themselves suddenly outside the moving of what God is doing and wondering how they got there. Because this understanding is coming to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God is at this moment ending all that He is doing upon earth, and we must take this seriously. And Luke says in twelve forty-eight, "Unto whosoever much is given, of him shall much be required; and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more." Here we have Mary. Mary is a virgin. She's in the land of Israel. An angel from God descends from heaven, speaks to Mary, and says, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored among men. You're going to conceive in your womb, you're going to bring forth a child, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us, and it's going to happen. And the scripture says that the angel said, Thou art highly favored, God has made you one of his favored ones. What did I say before? I said God had favorites. Why was Mary chosen? Who knows? Why wasn't it Betty or Susan or somebody else? Why was it Mary? I don't know. God made a decision in eternity? He looked down upon a little maid and he chose her sent her an angel and god spoke to her and he began that miracle in her body that we know today to be the birth of the savior of the world bringing salvation to multitudes. we don't know why but the bible says hail mary thou art highly favored among women favored means that god made a decision And that decision had to do with his election. It had to do with his preselection. It had to do with his predestination. It had to do with whatever you want to call it. But God made a decision. But, the story's not finished there. Over on in the Scripture, the angel says, Blessed is that one, for it shall be performed for her, for she believed. So here we have the charis of God moving down from heaven upon earth, but we see a corresponding response from the human vessel that says, God, I feel that you're doing that, and I accept that, I believe that. Now I begin to receive that and cooperate with that with my faith, and it was performed, and it came to pass exactly as the Spirit of the Lord had said from the angels of the Lord. Here is Jesus, Luke 2.42. The scripture says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and it says these tremendous words, and in favor with God and with man. So here we find a corresponding human response to what God is doing. The key to this, you see, is faithfulness. Now, let's get back to our Scripture and think about what I've said concerning the urgency of our coming to grips with this. And the key is that the body must function, and the key is that the body must function in faithfulness. Not all are apostles. Not all are evangelists. Not all are prophets. Not all are teachers. Some of the Scripture says their ministry or their in God is helping others. That's, that's their ministry. To others it says their charis is that of distributing their funds for the kingdom of God. To others it says their, their charis is the encouraging of us. They have that glorious gift of just being able to tie on to another human being and they just pump them up and, and they're with them five minutes and then they're all pumped back up and encouraged in God. They have that gift. Some have a mixture of the whole... Some who are in leadership position have, uh, have in God been brought unto, and many of these things function in their personality, but not all are the same. But let me bring you back to grips with this: whether our ministry is encouragement, or whether our ministry is teaching, or whether our ministry is preaching or whether our ministry is giving, we are going to be held exactly as accountable for as any pastor that fills the pulpit for our lives. Now here's the American attitude. We don't have to be faithful. What do we have to be faithful for? We're free. We live in America. We're intelligent beings. We can do what we want to do. We can chunk in some bucks once in a while, and we can just do our thing. Don't kid yourself. God will take you to task for that, That's his business, not mine, but I declare to you that he will bring you to task for that. What if our whole body just said, well, well, Mitchell will be there. What do we have to go for? I'm going to send my check in. Wouldn't we have fun? I was in Eugene, Oregon one night. We were building a little congregation. Roy Hicks pastors that congregation now. It was a terrible scene. We were struggling. We were trying to make this thing go. And we had people there that from the old church line that that uh, they really like to hire the preacher. They're, that's really their feeling. They really they really like to to be the ones that hire the preacher. And I'm not I'm not I'm not that kind of made up that way. And so in the process of time uh, they begin to grate a little bit. And so we had a Wednesday night service. We had a Gideon, a man from the Gideons there that we let present a ten minute thing. And he came out. He was a businessman. He he was unhappy in his spirit. He was not fed in his church. He brought his whole family with him—his wife and his two teenage children—and he came. And uh, and that night, sure enough, you could you could count on the saints. Half the saints were laying out that night. None of the council were there. They all laid out that night. Hello. But I went ahead and preached just like I had a, a congregation of a thousand. We'd probably run in thirty then, and fifteen of them were laying out. I was really proud. You know, man, we're, we're going for God. But I preached the gospel. And that man came to me. I've never forgotten this. He came to me and he said, Man, where are the people? I was wondering about that myself.
1: <laughs>
0: he said, I have never heard preaching like that. You've stirred my soul. You've fed me. I've been looking for the word of God. But he wasn't greatly impressed because there wasn't hardly anybody there but a few old women that loved me and they was going to come and the church of Jesus Christ missed an opportunity to meet a human need as far as I know the man still later his kids did come in and got serving God but as far as I know the man has never again graced a gospel preaching church where the Holy Spirit of God ministered and moved because half the body was not there to minister see the ministry that transpires in this building doesn't happen up here I'm just doing my part tonight. But what's really happening is happening out there. Now, if it's happening down at the, at the, at the Sambo's, what is supposed to be happening in here, then we're in bad trouble. Because we can't hardly perform business over at Sambo's and here at the same time. If uh, the, if, uh, if it's supposed to be happening here and half the body is off uh, uh, ministering at the Verde River, it's really difficult to get that kind of ministry flowing. See, yeah, I don't see half of your body over at Sambo drinking <laughs> coffee and half of it here. Wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Oh, I just feel hilarious. Now, wouldn't it be a terrible thing that uh, there's people really, if, if they came to church like that and half of them came walking in
1: <laughs> and they sat
0: down and we looked and there's half or a quarter or a third of a body and the, and the other two thirds were off uh, doing whatever. Now, what i said tonight, are you back with me? Here's the urgency of it. What I've said tonight is that the body must function, and the Scripture says these, these very particular words. Let me read them again. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are just as accountable tonight as I am. If at five o'clock tonight, I'd said to my wife, you know what, babe, hang it. I ain't gone. Let <laughs> those slobs spin for themselves.
1: <laughs>
0: you you'd get by a couple of times, three times, but after about four or five times, you'd probably begin to say, you know, think uh, hey, maybe we ought to pray about a new preacher. <laughs> Gotta get me for that. I ain't coming I don't I don't step into this pulpit and uh, step out from front of the T V set and uh, say well I'm on the way down say, Oh God, give me a give me a sermon. When I come, I've been putting the plow into the ground. You can tell that tonight, can't you?
1: <laughs>
0: See, I'm faithful to the calling. My mine is to do my part. My part is to do what I'm supposed to do, but the real action happens out there. Not up here. Okay, let me bring this to conclusion. I've talked about faithfulness. Now, what God judges us on tonight is not our endowments. Listen, I've been I've been around long enough to know that the superstars never make it. They never do make it. I wish they would make it. It would really help the kingdom of God if the superstars would. Have. They don't make it. They just do not make it. There's something about superstars that they just can't handle success. But I tell you, people that do make it are the faithful people of God. And what we're going to be judged on tonight is not whether we had five talents or two talents or one talent, but what we're going to be judged about is what we did with what God laid in our hands. Okay, let's go back to the allusion to the Scripture. And the Scripture says this evening, as each part does its work. Let me allude to the parable of the talents, and I close with this. Here's the parable of the talents. He's bringing them into an accountability. One of them has gained ten talents. Another has gained five. The other has hid his. He's done nothing with it. He's been an unfaithful servant. An unfaithful servant is not a preacher that fails his calling. That's an unfaithful servant. That is the only unfaithful servant. The unfaithful servants are the people of God that do not fulfill their ministry that are in the pews. He says to them, give an account. They start accounting. One says, I've gained ten. The other says, I've gained five. He says to the other, what have you done? What have you? He says, I haven't gained anything. I hid your talent. That's another story. We're going to get into that. But here's these tremendous words. Take from him and give to him that has ten. Human injustice begins to rise up that God is not fair. He's got ten. And it's written, it's in parentheses in the Bible. It says, but they say, but Lord, he's got ten. He said, I know he's got ten. That's why I gave him the one. And then he says these tremendous words that you need to engrave upon your heart and remember, for I say unto you, unto everyone who has shall be given, and for him who has not, even that which he has shall be taken from him. Why? Because he was unfaithful with what he had. Why should well, the one that's given ten and gained ten and been successful, why should the one with the most have given unto him the one? Because unto everyone who has shall more be given, but to him who has not shall be taken from him even. That which he has while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and god's ministering in this building this evening with his gracious love the spirit of the lord is speaking to hearts all over this building what a wonderful savior that we have what glorious grace that god brings unto us as human beings we are not worthy of his salvation We are not worthy of His calling. We are not worthy even to be involved in His program. We are not worthy to even be where our eyes can see. We are such privileged people. But somehow in the love of God, somehow in the wonder of His grace, somehow in the glory of His plan, somehow in the display of the manifold, the many-hued grace of God, the many-colored grace of God, He has shed forth unto you and I the gift of his love. There are people here this evening that are not saved. Dear friend, I want you to know that God has made provision for your salvation. Jesus Christ died on Calvary and suffered for your sin. And if you'll just simply turn from sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, God will do a miracle for you tonight. Jesus Christ will come into your heart and come into your life, and you'll be a new creature. You'll be changed, completely revolutionized. Christ died for sinners. For this purpose, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, I feel like I'm the chief of sinners. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There are people here this evening whose hearts are not right with God. There are people here this evening that are backslidden. There are people here this evening that have never made a decision for the Lord Jesus. But God is dealing with you in love. And I want you to know that there isn't anything that I I can do for you. There isn't anything that anybody can do for you. But if you turn to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you that God's charise, His grace, will come and meet you at this altar and will send you from this place with a new nature, with a clean slate, with sins forgiven, with a new strength, with a new joy, with a new blessing, with a new forgiveness, if you will but avail yourself of the opportunity that God's giving you tonight. There are people here this evening that are backsliders. You've once known the glorious joy of the Son of God. You've once known the salvation of the Lord. But tonight, you're out of the will of God, tonight you're backslidden. Tonight you're miserable. Tonight Jesus Christ is drawing you unto himself. But if you'll make a decision for God, I'm not talking about a church membership. I'm not talking about signing any kind of creed. I'm not talking about I'm talking about making a decision to let Jesus Christ do a work in your heart. If you'll turn to Christ as Savior, in one moment God will meet your need and he'll bring his grace into your being and he'll do something that will can only be described as an explosion, a revolution a miracle inside of you if you'll take that step. While we're pausing for a moment, I wonder how many people that God is speaking to here all over this building, God's dealing with your heart. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. If you let Jesus Christ into your life, God will begin to do a work in your heart and life. And there are people here tonight, several people are unsaved, several people are backslidden, but God's love and grace is here, and His grace, His power, His divine energy, His spiritual impartation will bring forgiveness and cleansing and healing into your heart. And before I change the order uh, of the service to other things, I wonder if you lift your hand right where you're seated and say, Pastor, I'm backslidden or I've never been saved, but I'd like to be saved tonight. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand there where you're seated? How many, lift your hand right there. Would you lift it up where I can see it and lift it up to God where I can pray for you. All over this building, how many people will lift your hand? Say, preacher, pray for me tonight. I want to I get my heart right with God. He loves you tonight. Jesus Christ loves you. I see a hand back there. You can put it down, sir. How many more lift your hand and join this one? Say, I'm not right with God. But I want to get right tonight. I want Jesus Christ to do work. Would you lift your hand? Backslide of this is your opportunity. I see your hand down here, man. How many more will join these? Say, preacher, pray for me tonight. I need God. I want Jesus to come into my life. I'd like God to do a work in my heart and my life. I can't do this for you, but I guarantee you on the basis of God's Word, God says, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I guarantee you. He says, Call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I say by the Word of God that if you take this step, God will meet you and He'll save you tonight. How many more will join these? Say, Preacher, would you pray for me tonight? I'm backslidden. I'm unsaved, but I want to get right with God tonight before we leave this building. Would you slip that hand quickly up? He loves you. How many more will join these? God is dealing with you tonight. Lift your hand up where you're seated, where I can see it, where God can see it. Say, pray for me tonight, preacher. I need God. I'm backslidden or I'm unsaved. But I want to make a decision for Christ. I want Christ to come into my life. Would you lift your hand right where you're seated? How many more? All over this building. Oh, He loves you tonight with an everlasting love. How many more? Quickly, I'm going to change the order of the service. This is your opportunity. While we're pausing for a moment in prayer and seeking God, there are people here tonight that God's been talking to. God's dealing with your heart about your attitude. God's dealing with your heart about your responsibility. God's dealing with your heart about the responsibility that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. God's dealing with your heart about your calling. I do not call people to preach. Neither do I keep people from preaching. That's issues from heaven. It is his gift. It is his calling. It must be settled with God, not with me. While we're seated in this building, there are people, you love God, you're not backslidden. But God's talking to you tonight. I want you to know it's just as important tonight that you be faithful in whatever ministry you have. It may be simply functioning with the body. You may have a gift of giving, but you are responsible to function with the body when the body functions. It may be the gift of showing mercy to others, being one that is a merciful person that reaches down to desolate and desperate souls. You are just as responsible to function with the body as any preacher, apostle, evangelist, or prophet. God's dealing with a number of people here tonight. Would you lift your hand and say, Tonight God's dealing with me. I see hands going up. I want you to hold them up right in the presence of God. God's dealing with you. You have a responsibility before God. You don't have to settle this with me. You have to settle this with God. It isn't whether I have favor, whether you find favor with me, You need to have favor with your fellow man. It would be good to have favor in the church that you worship. But that isn't the issue. The issue is whether you have favor with God. How many more sitting here? God's dealing with you about your responsibility to the body of Jesus Christ. How many more? Lift your hands. I want you to lift them and hold them there where you're sitting in the presence of God. Hands are going up all over this building. People are responding to the tug of the Holy Spirit. God's dealing with your heart. There's people here that are not faithful. God's dealing with your heart about faithfulness. See, God's going to call you to account. My responsibility is simply to declare the word. You don't have to account to me, but you'll have to account to God. My responsibility is to declare tonight what God has said, that he will judge you for your faithfulness. You say, will I go to hell? Well, probably not. But you'll lose the careers. That glorious impartation of God's grace that enables you to be what you are. If your gift this evening is showing mercy and you are not faithful to the body of Jesus Christ, there will be a day when that gift is not allowed to function in the body but will be removed. Say, will I make heaven my home? Uh, That's not up to me. Probably will. If your gift is giving, Thank God for giving. If you do not function in the body, there are other responsibilities you have in the body besides giving. There will be a day when that carith is taken from you. And it will be given to someone who has been faithful with their talent. If you're unfaithful in encouraging others, there will be a day when God will take that carith from you. He will not allow it to function. And he will give it to someone who will allow it to function and develop. How many more? I'm going to change this in just a moment. Lift your hands. Say, Preacher, pray for me tonight. i see those hands. How many more? All over this building, hands have been raised. I'd like for those while I'm changing the appeal of the service that lifted their hands, they want to be saved or they're backsliders. I want you to look me right in the eye. Every head's bowed in this building. Every eye's closed. I want you to look at me.